You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. As anyone who's listened to this show for any amount of time knows, the theme here is performance. By and large, sports performance, whether that be running, CrossFit, triathlon, or the like. One topic that doesn't quite fit under that umbrella, but comes up a lot on our social media channels and in the membership, is sex. There have been many questions about sexual desire, or lack thereof, pain during sex, and all the various barriers to a fun, active sex life that can come up during the menopausal years. We've talked about sex before on this show, of course. Dr. Lauren Stryker offered an hour's worth of golden advice on specific types of lube, vaginal treatments, and so forth. But we spoke less about the other sex organ that is impacted during this time of life, the brain, which honestly is really our most important sex organ. So I'm really excited to bring you this week's guest, Dr. Kelly Kasperson. Dr. Kasperson is a urologist interested in science and the power of the mind to change our views of sexuality. She is so interested in this topic, it has become the sole focus of her practice. She has created online courses teaching women the fundamentals of their anatomy and physiology, discussing their limiting beliefs, and normalizing their truly normal female sexual function to empower them to live their best love lives. She also has her own podcast, You Are Not Broken, where she discusses all of this and more, and she has a book of the same title coming out in 2022. You can learn all about all of that at kellycaspersonmd.com. Dr. Kasperson and I took a little different approach on this one. We talked broadly about these issues, and then we tackled some of the questions that have come through our channels, anonymously, of course, to address all of these issues. She is so wise and so funny and so down to earth. I know you're all going to really love this one. Before we get to it, this is my little weekly reminder to come join us on those social media channels. We are at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. We have a private hit play, not pause Facebook channel where you can come in and join the conversation. And if you want a deep dive into all things active menopausal living, we've got the Feisty Menopause membership where we offer in-depth materials, expert webinars, and sponsor discounts. You can learn all about that at feistymenopause.com. Speaking of, to all of you who attended our Feisty Menopause Summit last weekend, thank you from the bottom of my heart. You're amazing. It was amazing. I appreciate you. And thank you as always for all your kind messages, the hearts, the five-star ratings, the great reviews. It means the world to me. It has helped the show grow and continue to get bigger, better, and stronger. Okay, enough of me. Let's have a quick word about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. I have a pronouncement to make. I am wiggling my toes. Why am I making this seemingly ridiculous pronouncement? Because it's been a long time since I could. Specifically, my right big toe. See, I have a bone spur at the base of that right toe that is so big, my podiatrist said it looks like a party hat. 
and it has caused anything but a party in my foot. It has caused a lot of inflammation and stiffness, and there are times when it's been barely functional. I work through it. I have taken some anti-inflammatory supplements over the years that have made it mostly livable. Now, thanks to our new show sponsor, Prevenex, it's way more than livable. It's functional. It doesn't wake me up throbbing at night, and I can actually wiggle the toe and lift it off the ground. My left hand that used to ache from where I broke it in a mountain bike crash 10 years ago, that doesn't ache anymore either. If I hadn't experienced this myself, I frankly wouldn't have believed it. And I was super skeptical when Prevenex approached me with their joint health product. But I stopped my other supplements, started this one, and within two weeks, the difference was remarkable. I honestly did not expect that. So I did a little research and the main ingredients, check out. First one is eggshell membrane, which contains collagen, glucosamine, conjointin, and hyaluronic acid all of which have shown significant benefits in early research. And the other ingredient, Boswellia serrata extract, was found to even be more effective than glucosamine in some studies, according to examine.com. Prevenix has an array of other supplements, including Omega Pure Plus, which is an omega-3 fatty acid supplement, which is sourced from wild omega-rich fish and is totally free of heavy metals and mercury that can build up in your body. That's a big deal. They also have a vegan protein powder, which I know a lot of our listeners are keen to find. And that product, Neurofy Plus, is low in sugar, high in branched-chain amino acids, and contains probiotics and digestive enzymes that are super easy on the belly, which I really appreciate. So thanks to their sponsorship of this show, listeners can get 15% off their first-time purchase by using the code HITPLAY at checkout. Again, you can go to Prevenex.com, that's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X, and use the code HITPLAY at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. And if you don't like it, the company offers a 100% money-back guarantee on all of their products within 30 days, no question asked. That's how much they stand by their products, and I can tell you, with good reason, they work. Check it out. Go to Prevenex.com. Use the code HITPLAY at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. I would like to thank Vonda for introducing us, first of all. And um, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show, Kelly. I think this, this, as we were discussing just a moment ago offline, is a, wow, it's a topic that, you know, it's HITPLAY, not pause. And we usually talk about you know, the athletic pursuits and, and performing your best, but this piece of it is a big piece of it. You know, this whole sexual health and identity and, and what's happening there. It clearly what I'm seeing in the forums is something that is on women's minds. So I'm really grateful that you're here um, and for your own work and your own podcast, uh, you are not broken, which we'll talk about in a bit, but um, I'd like to start with the survey that I saw, you know, really just a couple of days ago that said it's from the independent and it said almost half of women say they stopped having sex while going through menopause and the polling, which was carried out for the independent also discovered that a quarter of women live in fear. Their partner will separate or divorce them due to menopause, killing their sex drive. And the poll that included 534 women who were aged 40 and older found 65% of women say being menopausal has impacted their marriage. And based on what I'm seen and 
hearing in my circles in this form, I can believe it. And I'm, I'd love to hear your, what, what your perspective is on all this from your experience. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's such a huge topic and I, that's why I love this topic because it brings in physiology. It brings in societal expectations. It brings in gender roles. Like that's why this topic's so amazing. Cause you can really go dive into it from any of those. Um, yeah, it, it, I'd like to counter it. Any data you have about sex, you can find the exact opposite data somewhere else. Because it means like you can find what your cognitive, like whatever you're looking for, you can be like, see, told you I don't want to have sex after menopause. And that's <laughs> it. So it's, it's a legitimate thing. And hormones, although not the entire answer, are a piece of it, especially when we talk about what happens with menopause. The, the exciting thing or the contra thing is a lot of data says you're not going to start having the best sex of your life until you're after 50. The people in their 50s, 60s and above are where the really good sex happens. And so you like hold those two things up and you're like, what do they know that these people don't know or why'd they give it up if the best is over here? So there's just like so many different ways to dive into it. Certainly I see couples in their 80s, they're having sex. It's different than the sex they were having when they were 20, but that's not necessarily bad. I have no poker face, so I'm sure you just saw my mind pop when you said that, right? <laughs> yeah, I get the privilege of seeing people, like, I talk to 20 people, 30 people in clinic every single day, so I see, like, aging well, I see aging not well, I see everybody over the age of 90, I ask for their advice and on either a marriage that's lasted 50 years or longevity, because I'm like, there's so much to learn from them, because when society tells us our sex life is over with menopause, we tend to believe it, unless we can counter it with this data. So much to unpack there. So what, what is, what is happening there? Why is there this giant divide between these two camps? Like, well, you know, I, I guess it's I, all of those things, all yeah, of the, the, I think menopause, you know, physiologically our, our vaginas and vulvas do change because of lack of estrogen. And if we don't number one, know it. And number two, know that there's treatment for it. We just think, this is the way it is. And pain is a big reason why women avoid sex. Certainly pain with symptoms of menopause go up if it's untreated. It's very treated, it's very simple. I see women in their 70s who have wonderful, healthy, moist, soft, lovely vulvas. So it's we just need to keep women healthy. Mm -hmm. And I think talking about menopause, women don't know that that's part of menopause for a lot of women. Right. And so they just think like, oh, things change and this is how it is. Because if you don't know and you don't know there's treatment, you're not going to get to that best sex of your life when you're 67. Right. Right. Um, is that the genesis of You Are Not Broken, your own podcast? Is that where that came from? Yeah, the it came from the title just came so organically because it was woman after woman saying, I don't have desire. I've never had an orgasm. Uh, sex is painful, whatever, you know, the, the voice of the day was. And me just saying, oh, I don't have orgasm with vaginal penetration, which is a huge myth. And for me to be like, oh, well, you're not broken. That's just the way our bodies were. Our bodies weren't designed to have orgasms with penises in our vagina. We need to pay attention to our clitoris. And me just like speaking factual knowledge to people to tell them that they're not broken and making me realize like, I went through med school and still didn't know this. I had to then learn more and more. So of course, the average person doesn't know this stuff. And we're not broke for the majority of us. We're not broken. We just need some education. Yeah. And that's, that's what we're, uh, that's what we're here to do today. So 
before we get into, we have some uh, listener questions, which I thought would be really great to go through. But before we get to those, I'd like just a little bit of an umbrella to unpack a bit of what you said. So what, what does some of that treatment look like if I, because speaking from experience, it can kind of happen overnight. It feels like, like sex goes from, Ooh, to ow, ow, you know? And like, what's your first stop? I mean, is it just buying coconut oil? I mean, or is it, you know, is there something else that I should, that someone should do? Yeah. I think a couple, there's a couple of things. Um, number one is just paying attention to your arousal. It might take longer as we get older to get aroused, making sure, because what arousal does just to break it down for people, it brings blood flow into the pelvis. Blood flow helps our erectile tissue. Women have erectile tissue, which pads the, you know, the, I don't want to say trauma in the wrong way, but the physical activity of intercourse, Mm -hmm. right. To make it more comfortable. So paying attention to our arousal becomes even more important when our skin gets dry and tight because of that lack of estrogen. So certainly non-hormonal things first, coconut oil works great, unless you're prone to infections, um, just vulvar moisturizers, a silicone lubrication during sex is nice because it doesn't get sucked in by dry skin like a water-based lubricant does. So maybe switching mm-hmm. up lube, normalizing that lube is incredibly important for healthy, happy sex lives that aren't painful. And then the hormonal option is vaginal estrogen, which in my country, America, it's prescription, Um, but it's finally generic after decades of being on the market. It's finally generic. I consider it preventative medicine. I think, you know, around, and this isn't like mainstream, but it's like around the age 60, especially we start seeing it kick in. Average age of menopause is 51 in America. Uh, It's just that slow decline that if you want to maintain those tissues, um, just prophylactic, just like we wear sunscreen, and we wear seatbelts. I just say vaginal estrogens like sunscreen and seatbelts. We want to keep the tissues healthy and not just for sexually active people, but it also decreases bladder infections, bladder oh. overactivity, just pain and dryness that's not sexual of the vagina and vulva. So just skin, and I just say it's skincare. You know, face skincare is a billion dollar industry. We love taking care of our skin. This is just skincare. That's a great point. And, and, because now I'm, I'm curious, do any of those laser treatments that I'm hearing so much about, is that a substitute for that or no? Like you think like the skincare is really the estrogen? I think it's both. The, the laser has been proven to bring in blood flow and collagen. Basically, it's basically in a way forcing the body to kind of heal and bring in those like growth factors. So your skin, that's why your skin looks more plump and young, you know, laser on the face, you can see right, right. <laughs> and you can't see them in your vagina, but just like people will laser the face to get, to just kind of force the body to heal naturally, which is going to give you that more youthful, comfortable glow, um, is what it's doing in the vagina. It's bringing in more blood, uh, and more collagen, making it a little more elastic. I think it's additive. So I'm, anybody who pays the money, because laser is not covered by insurance, but if you pay the money to get a laser, unless you can't have vaginal estrogen, and most people can, the people who can't are being actively treated for breast cancer. There's plenty of data, even breast cancer survivors who suffer horribly from vaginal dryness and pain, really low dose vaginal estrogen is okay. Um, So I think it's additive to the laser. I think the laser is useful. I I think vaginal estrogen is useful. I think together you've got, now you've got two different ways to make the skin healthy. Right. I also want to talk about that normalizing lube piece because we say, you know, I've, I've had other uh, experts on the show who have talked about lubes and all of that, but what we didn't talk about, and I think what's important and what's a large part of your work is that piece of, I have to stop this and tell him that I need lube. 
Do you know what I mean? That piece of like it all of a sudden, like there's this thing that this cleave or can be, I think, you know, yeah. because you feel like I shouldn't need this. And now it's awkward. Now I have to like say this thing and go get this thing. And, and you know, and like how how can what's the best way for women to sort of ease into that and be comfortable with it and, and you know, talk about it? Yeah, well, the I mean, so many different ways, right? But the clitoris is not self-lubricating. You need clitoral play to have orgasm and pleasure in women. The penis is not self-lubricating. <laughs> now we have the two organs of sexual pleasure in male and female that aren't self-lubricating. We're putting the entire job on the vagina. And again, the whole you are not broken thing is just because a woman wants to have sex, her pelvis might not be responding by lubricating well, what we call arousal desire mismatch totally normal, very common. And so like depending upon the vagina to lubricate all the things that need to be lubricated to have an orgasm, besides the fact that lubrication reduces friction and really helps prevent pain, if anything's painful, we're not gonna do it, right? So I would encourage women to flip the conversation of like, you're not driving down the road and then you decide to like, you need to put your seatbelt on. It's like you put the seatbelt on is just part of the driving in the car. It's like lube is just part of having sex. Like right. every single time you've got your travel pack that can go on the airplane and then you've got your bigger one in your house. Like it's just part of the conversation instead of like, it's this uncomfortable thing. And that I think is a, is a lack of education of how our body parts work, right? Our clitoris doesn't lubricate itself and the penis doesn't lubricate itself. And we don't tell the men like, I guess you're not into it because you, your penis isn't lubed enough. I'm like, no, it like it needs some help. So I just like to normalize it for people so they can think about it different. Yeah. And and even if you haven't needed it until this point, it's still to your point means your body is just shifting. Right. And that's still like it's it's not abnormal. Yeah. And, and I would yeah. just say anybody who, you know, quote unquote, doesn't need it, they still benefit by it. Like, you know, people who have good sex or wonderful sex or pleasurable sex, like they tend to use lube. It's just helps with the friction, helps decrease pain, helps you if you want to be in the bedroom longer, you know, all, all the things. So there's plenty of people. I like to normalize lube for everybody, not just the perimenopause, postmenopause. I see, I saw uh, two women in my clinic in one week, they're both in their young twenties coming to see me for pain. And I said, and I never say, do you use lube? Because I want to normalize the conversation. So I say, what type of lube do you use? Hmm. And they, and one of them said, my boyfriend told me I shouldn't need to use lube. And I was like, well, that's not gonna, that's, he might not last long. He certainly wouldn't <laughs> last long in my clinic if I had, to, but I'm like, where do the guys get off telling you what your body needs? Especially when we know arousal and lubrication isn't, it's always, you know, especially if you put something in the penis right away before you're fully ready. Like lubrication is not a sign of arousal or not arousal. It's just, it's literally from a physiologic standpoint, it's literally like sweat. You increase the blood flow and like sweat comes through the vagina. That's what it is. So it's like, it means nothing. Don't make it mean anything and like add lube. That's a great, thank you. That is, that, <laughs> that is a great way to look at it. Um, let's dig into some of these, these questions. Cause then all the, all those other issues are going to flow through the conversation. So you know, one that generated a lot of conversation recently is, I mean, she titled it sex. I'm frustrated with my husband that he's not more interested in how my body has changed and we can't have sex like we did. We haven't had sex much in the past 17 years due to kids, but now the kids are teens. We're trying to unite again. It's hard. He isn't a very good lover to begin with, but a wonderful man, husband, father. He's smart, 
when he wants to know something, he researches the heck out of it. But when it comes to menopause and sex for me, I feel he doesn't care and just wants to go back to the way we were before kids. Any suggestions? Like eight, eight or nine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so much to unpack there, right? Yeah. One, so many different thoughts. Like number one, we didn't have sex because of the kids. Don't use the kids as an excuse, right? The kids sleep. The kids can be in another room. Um, so to just basically say what, what she's saying is I didn't prioritize our sex life. We didn't prioritize our sex life. You're blaming the children, but what you're doing is you weren't prioritizing your sex life. Now you have 17 years of inexperience, right? And you have 17 years of things are different now than they used to be. And we have this like hindsight of like, wasn't it fabulous then? I guess we're hopeless. So I think looking at how we're framing that is incredibly important as trying to like make it better instead of like, oh, I blame the kids. Now I'm blaming my husband for not being interested, right? And so there's kind of all this external, instead of like the ownership of like, I wanna know about my body. I wanna know what feels good for me. I wanna know how I can teach him. Kind of that agency, you know, I think agency is even a better word than empowerment of like, this is your sex life. This is not your kid's fault. This is not your husband's fault. Everybody ages. And I think that's another important thing of what worked for us when we were 23 won't work for us when we have orthopedic issues and we've got a knee <laughs> replacement and we've got some hormone stuff and we might have some erectile dysfunction. We've got this big stress at work. You know, we've got all these pieces. And if we don't think of sex as ever evolutionary and evolving and flexible and we're rigidly stuck on wasn't it easy when I was 18, you haven't given yourself any grounds to grow and explore. Right. Right. So I'll, I'll start there for her. That, that is, that is a, a very good place to start. And then like, that sounds like it needs to be a conversation that like, as you have just said it, as opposed to expecting, like expecting him to, I mean, should she say uh, like, how do you broach, you know, what she should say to him? Like, I would like to, Reuni you know, reunite with you and let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, everybody, the other thing I like to say of like, you don't use lube once, right? And you don't talk about sex once. Like mm -hmm. this is, we're always changing. Our bodies are always changing. Your relationship, this myth of like, it was easy then. So why does it have to be hard now? Of like, it takes work. People, you look at those women with great sex lives they're prioritizing it, they're committed to it, they're curious about it, like all of these qualities that make it such, instead of just being like, well, they're lucky, you know, like, no, there's like, you know, when you wanna be good at something, whether it's professional mountain biking or being an expert in your subject or whatever, it's like, you can't rely on that, like, well, it was easy when I was 18. It's like, no, you're always just working at it, right? And learning how to communicate with your partner is huge, staying away from blame. You know, the, her other thought of he's not a good lover, super curious about that thought, right? Because she's now she's fixed him in this static brokenness instead of, I never taught him how I orgasm easily. I've never said, hey, you know, what do you think about doing X? Or why wouldn't you want to do X? Or how about, you know, like she's labeled him as not good in bed. Eh, I, that to me is like being good in bed is a skill. It's not a like a genetic, you know, thing. It's like you, you become good at it. So she's labeled him as not good in bed, which I certainly can affect desire, right? If you know you're headed to the bedroom and you're not going to have an orgasm, you're a little less likely to want to go into the bedroom. Right. And I, I think to, to 
close that that thought is that you know she's saying that he researches other things that's kind of easy you can't really research her without her you know providing the information yeah and i want to give yeah. compassion to the men they don't own our body parts yeah right? oh for sure and here we are blaming them for like not giving us pleasure of like they don't even, they can't even play with it on the side like they don't know <laughs> how we work right and they didn't if you look at you know a lot of sex ed especially they separate the boys from the girls boys don't even learn about periods right so he's been culturally trained that he's not allowed to know about that or he's not allowed even to be curious about it because they separated them so now here we have menopause which is kind of the same thing of like that's i've been told that's a woman's stuff and so I, I always like looking at culturally where are we coming from when we assume a man's just not interested of like we told them it's just our thing right until we tell them hey i really want to share this with you because it's very meaningful to me would you would you like to do that on a walk would you like to do that after we watch a movie like how would you like to do it right instead of just saying like he's the problem that's excellent that's excellent Like many of you, I try to eat well, train well, take the supplements I need, and track my recovery, sleep, and progress. So imagine my surprise when I found out I had elevated blood sugar, high cortisol, out-of-whack lipids, and was borderline anemic. Yeah, all while I was racing well and feeling actually pretty great. Turns out, all of my training stress was taking a hidden toll. How did I find out? Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized, science-based, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is simpler, cheaper, and more convenient than traditional blood tests, and their blood tests also include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin and vitamin D. My favorite part? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. And I've taken those actions myself and have been improving those markers and ultimately my health. So for a limited time, my friends at Inside Tracker are offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. So go to insidetracker.com slash feistymenopause to take advantage of that offer. Again, it's insidetracker.com slash Feisty menopause, I can tell you, it works. One of the replies to that woman I thought was very interesting too, because this comes up an awful lot. And it was a woman who says, talking about her own husband, he's not interested in sex, at least right now. I don't want anyone to see me naked, exclamation, 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 let alone touch my body, exclamation, exclamation. It's hard enough for me to see myself, exclamation, exclamation. Yeah. yeah. I, I literally just, one of my interviews for my podcast today was on this because sex is, sex is a neutral topic at some point, right? That's all about my body image, me feeling worthy of pleasure, me feeling worthy of somebody else seeing this, me, me worried about what other people's judgments gonna be. You can have that and sex is just like another component or it could be the bathing suit at the pool or it could be me going to the gym, right? And so really working on that and saying, you're, you're not having sex because of that. There's plenty of beautiful people having crappy sex. There's plenty <laughs> of 
people who are out of shape having wonderful sex. Like it's not a prerequisite, but I think a healthy body image and acceptance and understanding, kind of a kindness goes a long way, certainly in achieving pleasure and orgasm. Yeah. Yeah. And because another woman had added, I carry a few extra pounds. It means I'm quote unquote undateable. You know, I mean, no. that is right. He look around. I tell people like, look around. <laughs> There's a lot of people who are of all shapes and sizes with seemingly happy relationships. Yeah. Oh, there's entire like, you know, niches of porn dedicated to this, but, but it's not a prerequisite for a great sex life. And I think women are really limiting themselves by doing that. And there's the nice thing about working on your sex life is the stuff you work on then trickles over to everything else. You get more body confidence. You show up more confident at work, right? You get more body confidence. You're more willing to go to the gym and get, get strong. So I really think like sex as a topic, working on whatever the hangup is, projects into your entire life and just makes your whole life better. Do you think that, you know, I mean, she prefaces that with saying he's not interested in sex, at least right now, but then it then goes into a lot of, I don't want anyone to see me naked, which then I'm like, okay, is he actually not interested in sex? I mean, yeah, there's so, you, you don't know unless you have a conversation, but if, if you're not willing to be seen, it's kind of hard to have sex. And I think another thing on that is what women, we do a lot of interpreting of other people in our head, right? Just as a stereotype, but it's like, do you think he's just not interested in sex or has he told you I'm not interested in sex, right? Cause I'd say the majority is, well, I avoid it. So he kind of avoids it and it's conflict every time it comes up. So I'm going to assume he's not interested in sex. Right. You might be very interested in sex, but unless you ask him, you don't know. And you're just making an assumption. Which brings us to low libido. Speaking of interested in sex. Um, and then often I've noticed in these threads comes up in the same breath as fear of pain. Um, it's uh, one of the questions. I think this is actually the one that Vonda saw that, that connected us. It says, is anyone here single and dating? I'm thinking about it, but honestly, for the first time in my life, I'm daunted by the idea of intercourse. And postmenopausal have been celibate for several years. I know sexual intercourse will be awkward and painful, hopefully not for long, if I ever do get a boyfriend. And since my libido is so low, I'm finding my fears about getting sex getting in the way of even considering dating. Anyone else facing this kind of thing? Yeah, well, first of all, she's not broken and she's not alone. She's not the only one. Like so much love to anybody who's saying, I think there's more to life. I'm a little cautious about it, but I think there's more to life. Right. Like to me, I'm like, she's she wants to. She wants a relationship. She even says she's ordered some toys, but her motivation to use them is low. Yeah. So. Well, I think, you know, separating pain and libido and talking about it's so important because people say I have pain and I have no libido. Like you have two things going on. No, you have pain. Like our human instinct is to avoid anything that's painful. You're not going to put your hand on a hot stove. Right. And. So you've got to really work on the pain component before you can even start to wonder if you're interested in sex for sex pleasure, because if sex is just painful, it's to be avoided. So people are like, I'm here for low libido. And then you find out they have pain with sex and you're like, no, 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 we're here for pain with sex because there's no, I love to do things that hurt me. <laughs> right. That's, that's number one. Um, you know, headed, she's in perimenopause, postmenopause. I would willingly go, I have women come and see me and they're like, I'm going to start dating again. I want to make sure it's okay down there. I want to see what I can do to keep things healthy and comfortable. And I'm like, God bless you. The person that you're with does not know how amazing you are. 
that you're doing this, right? So it's like, do I need to be on vaginal estrogen? Do I need to see a physical therapist for tight pelvic floor muscles? Mm. You know, do whatever might be going. There are some skin conditions that cause tightening and cracking and pain. Does that need to be addressed? So I'd be seeing, seeing somebody, whether that's a urologist, gynecologist, primary care, who's comfortable with vagina and vulva. How do you find that person? Yeah, exactly. Because you know how many exams I do that people have been told they're normal? And I'm like, yeah, there's no, 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 this is not normal. Um, it's, I think it's easier said than done to find somebody who actually like understands the vulva and vagina. And if you have, my advice is this, if you have pain, you see a doctor and they tell you it's normal, it's not, it's not an acceptable answer. Keep going on. Don't stop. Mm. Don't stop with, this is a, a normal exam. I don't know why you're having pain because there really are people trained in that. Um, the international society for the study of women's sexual health, which is a mouthful, but it's Ishwish. Um, you can go on and find a practitioner there. Um, some menopause specialists will be good at doing exams down there, but not all of them. So it's really sadly trial and error until we train more doctors on physical exam of the female. But certainly for her, I would say we got to start getting comfortable with pain and touch and then understanding that what does sex mean to you? That's such an important question that I think a lot of women don't answer. And it's underneath a lot of what they're saying is like, is sex an obligation? Is sex something you're just doing for your partner? Is sex not about pleasure for you, right? And realizing, of course, you're not gonna wanna do it if it's a chore or it's a to-do list or if it's painful. So really digging like, what does sex mean to you? Sex is a way that I feel desired. It's relaxing, I sleep great afterwards. We get to spend time together in a naked situation that's just between you and me and nobody else in the world. Like how great is it? So it's like, what sex means to you is incredibly important in your interest in having it. That's a great, great point. And where, where do, where do the toys, because the toys have come up a bunch of times, where do they come into that, to the whole yeah, picture? I think toys, it's an interesting conversation because I think what, what our society does is they're like, oh, well, you just don't have the right toy. So, you know, buy another thing and then all your problems will be solved. No, I, I don't think that. I think, I think there's plenty of people with wonderful sex lives that have zero toys. I think there's plenty of people who have one toy and I think there's plenty of people who have 15 toys, right? <laughs> and like none of them is, is normal or right. But I think toys are incredibly important for a woman to say, I can touch myself. I know what causes pain and doesn't cause pain. I know what helps me have an orgasm easily and quickly, or I know what feels uncomfortable. Like it's a part of learning and like technology exists for a reason, right? Like look, you and I get to meet and talk because of technology, it's not all bad. So some people being like, I don't want technology in the bedroom. I'm like, we literally have technology. Like my toothbrush is electric. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We have everything that's technology. It's like, why wouldn't you see what like modern ingenuity can do? Because it's designed for female pleasure, a lot of it. And here's the big secret. Penises aren't actually designed for female pleasure. So it's perfectly okay to have both in the bedroom with you. Good, good point. Speaking of the, of the motivation piece um, is, you know, there's, there's quite a few women who are like, eh, sex, like it's going, it's taking work. It feels like another to do. It feels like a chore. I mean, that also sounds like it bumps up against low libido because if I have libido, aren't I motivated? I mean, aren't those two sides of the same coin? Yes and no. Um, So breaking down libido, libido, the word inherently means sex drive, right? Mm -hmm. Which 
in our society, we've been trained that the male, the male experience is normal, right? The female is broken or diminished or other than. She's not, her, her viewpoint on the world isn't as equal. So what we know is that the male sex drive tends to be spontaneous, just high levels of testosterone does that to the brain. I need to seek out a way to repopulate the world, right? In the like inherent drive of the man. Uh, The female is a lot more responsive desire. I don't, I shouldn't just be going and sleeping with the whole world. It's incredibly labor intensive for me to get pregnant. (laughs) That many times, yeah. So like if you, I like to look at it, evolu- there's so many different lenses, like, they, but if you look at it evolutionary, like a woman should only want to have sex when it's like the right time and the right place and it's safe and like she trusts the dude and like he's probably going to st- stick around. Like evolutionary wise, there's a lot of reasons that responsive desire is best for the woman. People will disagree with me. And again, you can always find things to counteract this, but when you normalize responsive desire, as a acceptable thing for women to have, you've thrown away this low libido garbage of like something's wrong with you because you're just not actively seeking out sex all the time. The other thing we see in our society is we're living in this high stress cortisol all the time, go, 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 sympathetic nervous system, which is not conductive to relaxing, digesting, having sex, reproducing, right? So women are living in this like, I got kids, I've got deadlines, I've got board meetings, I've got the job, I've got to make the food. Now you just want me to have sex? Like that's, you're existing in a cortisol sympathetic world. Of course you're not over here in this relaxation, pleasure, lovely, and, and women have to transition to that. Right. So they're existing over here and now feeling shame because they're not spontaneously desiring sex. So, yeah, I have a lot to lot to say about libido, because a lot of it, I think, is just another way to keep women in a box, tell them they're broken instead of them understanding, like, of course, I don't want sex right now. Did you see my day? <laughs> and, giving, and giving them the space to transition to a place where sex happens. It, it, this has not occurred to me before, but as you were talking, does does not ovulating play a, play a role in this? Yes and no. We okay. know that in when women ovulate, that's their highest spike of estrogen and testosterone. Evolution, you know, we can never go ask the creator, like, how did you plan this to work out, right? But what studies have shown is during ovulation, that tends to be where women are seeking out sex the most because they're like, now is the time that if it were to happen, the baby can be made. We do so many things to make ovulation not happen, whether it's birth control or menopause or, you know, actively being pregnant or breastfeeding, like all of these states where we're like, oh, I'm broken because I'm not spontaneously desiring sex is like, it's totally okay. It's totally okay. I tend to say that low libido is, it's made up. Low libido compared to what? The male normative spontaneous sexual desire paradigm, which I would say is different, but not the gold standard to which women must achieve. But a society tells us that we should be like men, right? We should want what they want. We should behave like they behave. We should want sex like they want sex. And I'm here to say, why can't we just be women and have that be normal and good and lovable and enough? Because it sure, it sure isn't working just telling us that we're broken. <laughs> what if it's low libido in relation to what you used to be? Yep. So there is a role of hormones. What the hormone is, is we think it's, if it's going to be any uh, hormone, it's going to be testosterone for us. 
And so there is a component to that. Some women, postmenopausal women do notice that when they supplement with testosterone, they do get a level of desire back that they like. But I never meet a woman and say, what you need is testosterone. Because I truly believe they need all those layers of education first to be like, when you're at the party, is the party good? Yeah, the party's great. Okay, that's called responsive desire. You don't actually need desire, just go to the party. It's kind of like exercise and like mm-hmm. those really physically fit athletes, they do not feel like doing it every day. And if they waited around to put that workout in until they truly felt like it, they probably wouldn't have fitness in their life like they do. Now, I never mean to say have sex when you don't feel like it. I don't mm-hmm. mean to say that. I mean to say if sex is important to you, if your sex life is important to you, prioritize it. Having desire for it isn't actually necessary. And I equate that to like eating healthy and working out. Gotcha. Like you're prioritizing a salad every once in a while. You're not waiting for the desire for the salad to happen. Totally. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And it, and it brings me to, you know, rel- a related string that came up in this whole conversation of a woman who is 58 single, not dating. And the reason is lack of interest in sex. She also, it was painful, not worth the hassle. I mean, everything else that we talked about comes into this, but there were women responding to her who were like, they feel a bit irritated by even the conversation that makes them feel like they should want to have a higher libido or they should want to be having sex when they're not interested. And you know, I, that that seems to me like if you are happy and and your life is is full, then you can have a full life without sex. Yes. OK. Yeah, totally. And I think I mean, again, this is why it's such a great like it's so nuanced. You can like I freaking love this conversation, but it's like for that woman specifically. Two markers of good sex life after menopause, availability of partner, partner willingness, and then management of menopause symptoms, hot flashes, poor sleep, dryness of vulva. If that's gone or if you're not sleeping, your body is not wanting, you're not going to want to have sex, right? So in her situation, she probably has both going on. Number one, menopause might be an issue that she could manage better. Number two, she doesn't feel like having sex because she doesn't have a partner around who's like, hey, honey, you're looking kind of good. Let's uh, go have some quality time, right? Availability of partner is a big marker of a woman being interested in having sex. So the fact she doesn't have the partner, she's not interested in sex, I'd say that's totally normal. Now, she might think, I need to have intercourse in order for somebody to love me. I need to, like, she is probably tying that in there somewhere, or I need to be desiring sex to seek out somebody. I would break that apart for her. I would say, go meet people. That's where the desire is going to come. You're going to find some guy or woman or whoever you want to find who's so good looking to you. You're like, there it is. Just didn't have it on my couch at home with my cat. Right? <laughs> like, you've got to surround yourself with the context. And we know for women, context is so important for sex. And this is why women are like, honey, let's go away to that bed and breakfast, that all-inclusive, put the kids with the grandparents. I'm going to totally want to have sex with you there. And he's like, why can't we just have sex here? And the reason is women's brains contextually, she puts herself in a sexy environment. She doesn't have the stress of, are the kids going to nag? Are they going to walk in on us? Does there, are they going to break something in the, she doesn't have that. She can turn that part of her brain off and enjoy pleasure and having sex. So context for a woman, if you're single and you're sitting on the couch and you're like, I need to wait for desire to go start dating, like go start dating you'll probably find something that you're going to want to desire. Does that make sense? But if she's happy on the couch, 
Stay on the couch. Totally. Don't do anything for anybody else. (laughs) Totally. That makes total sense. I think that I'd be super remiss if I didn't bring up this, this issue, which I think a lot of people menopausal or not um, encounter that feeds into this is familiarity and boredom, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it, it feels like that needs really needs to be part of this conversation um, because you, some people have been with people a long time at this point. And I, when I talked to Dr. Stryker, she's like, well, you know, some women seem to not need HRT, but hor- uh, not hormone replacement therapy, but husband replacement therapy. And I was like, oh boy, you know, I, but I understood what she was like. I understood what yeah. she was saying. I know. I always worry that I'm going to get in trouble if, if somebody steals a clip from me too, but um <laughs> Yes. I mean, why did we desire sex so much when we were 17? We had no idea what it was about. It was forbidden. Maybe it was a new person. We didn't know what tricks they had up their sleeve. You know, like I could do it during Friday night, but it might not like, Ooh, right. There's so much that that stokes desire in that scenario. Now you have long-term monogamy. You've seen their underwear. You've seen how they've raised children. You've, you know exactly how much food they're going to leave at the, on their plate at the end of the meal. Like you literally know everything and you're going to go do the exact same thing again. And some people tends to be men more than women. But again, I, whenever we stereotype in sex, we're always wrong. But you can eat oatmeal for breakfast for 20 years in a row and you are stoked about it. That is what you want. You don't want anything else. It does it for you, oatmeal for breakfast. And there are other people who are like, toast sometimes, some scrambled eggs on the weekend, pancakes, sometimes intermittent fasting. Like that's what I need in my life, right? And so you get to the point where I don't think, I think a lot of what we call low desire in women is bad, what, we call, what I call crappy sex, bad sex where we're not prioritizing her pleasure. Her brain is not engaged because she knows exactly how this race is run, right? Like if you go exercise and you do the same damn thing, like you're going through the motions and then women say, I just feel numb down there. And it's like, cause your brain's not engaged because you're, it's not novel. So again, that's again, a piece where toys can come in handy is like Tuesdays, I might like this. Oh, Wednesdays, I'm gonna say just hands, please. Like it's going to shake up it a little. And I'm not saying you have to replace the partner even. It's just like not the same damn thing every damn time. But not liking boredom does not mean you have low libido. And I think a lot of this low libido. Or that you don't like your husband anymore. Or that you don't like your husband anymore. That's huge. I think the huge part on that is knowing that spontaneous sexual desire goes away after about six to 18 months in a relationship. And again, we're fed that you should just spontaneously desire sex all the time. People literally think they've fallen out of love because their neurotransmitters say, I know what this person's about now. But they miss that like dopamine, novelty, spontaneous sex drive that we know goes away. Esther Perel writes about this in Mating in Captivity. It's well documented. And so it's like, of course you have responsive desire. You're happy when you get to the party. Spontaneous went away about a year after you met the person. How does this all play out with same-sex partners? They have more orgasms. <laughs> well, there you have it. <laughs> For all my same-sex partners listening out there, congratulations. The heterosexual female has the least amount of orgasms in a paired mating than anybody else. Wow. Is that is that simple understanding? I mean, is... Do people know that? Is that what you're asking? 
Well, no, 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 no. I mean, like, like I, I, I'm digging a little more into that because I think it's. I mean, at, at some point, I'm like, that makes sense. Um, and is it just because like they, you were talking before, like with a heterosexual pair, they we don't have each other's parts. With a, yeah, with a same sex pair, we have like there's a there's just more inherent like, I know the business end and I know the not you know the the opera like I know both sides of this equation right. Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple of, lots of research has been done on this. Orgasmic inequality is, is what it's called. Laurie Mintz wrote Becoming Cliterate, which is a fantastic book talking about orgasmic inequality. But so in a heterosexual pair, we call a heterosexual paradigm, sex starts when something goes in the vagina, usually a penis. Sex ends when the man has an orgasm. You put something in the vagina that's not always going to make the woman have an orgasm. Now she feels like something's wrong with her because she didn't have an orgasm. Now her party's not great, right? I don't desire things that are fun. I don't desire things that aren't satisfying. And we, what we have to do is we have to learn from our non-heterosexual friends and family and colleagues because their definition of sex is way broader. They're in the female clitoral owning people. Their attention to the clitoris as the orgasm, as the way that women get pleasure is much higher than in the heterosexual couple. And sex doesn't end just when the man has an orgasm. And so, and so the heterosexual paradigm, I think, is very damaging or limiting for the female. And then what we've done is we've taken this crappy heterosexual paradigm, and then we tell the women they have low libido because they don't desire this plan. Great points. Great points. This has been so delightful. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you think would be important for the audience to hear? Oh, I think, I think we've covered so much from like hormones and communication to like self-love and body acceptance. Like, no, I think this, know that it's not a simple fix. Oftentimes, like this is work. This is like, I want to cultivate this new component of my life. Society tells us that women aren't sexual. We shouldn't be too sexual, but then we're bad if we don't have desire, right? So we are living in this paradox and we can decide to be like, screw that. I want a happy, healthy sex life, but I need to have that agency to communicate and to learn. And there's nobody that like is too good at sex. Like you just get to keep figuring it out. There is no there, there, like the work is in the journey. And so I, I tell people like, don't, this is adult play. You don't have to take it so seriously. Well, that's our show. Come back next week for my conversation with Mari Holden, an Olympic medalist who, now at 50, says she's just getting started. You won't want to miss that one. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager, the show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause. And please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends. And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty.